Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. And as always, we have Jeff Powell on with us. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Jeremy. So Jeff, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about inflation. And in fact, every day when the market moves, it's uh, being attributed to inflation and changes in inflationary expectations. Do you mind just walking through what what is inflation? What is this that we're putting so much attention into right now? Well, inflation, just in a very, very binary way of looking at it, is, is when you have uh, the cost of goods increase uh, over a period of time. So whatever costs you, I mean, everybody, if you think about like your parents or your grandparents, you know, they talk to you about how cheap it was to buy a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread or a home or a car. That's what inflation is. Uh, inflation over a period of time will, will change what the value of a good is. Got it. And so with inflation, um, and there's certainly a lot of uh, articles that are talking about this right now, there's this uh, this uh, difference that's made between good inflation versus bad inflation. Can you walk us through what does that even mean? What are people referring to when they say something like that? Well, it's kind of funny to sit there and talk about it in, in, the, co in the course of good inflation, because most people don't really think of inflation as being good in the slightest, but there is an element of good to it. Um, you know, oftentimes when you are dealing with a um, an economy that is really at, at full capacity, uh, it is a form of increasing productivity. Uh, so you can actually see uh, productivity increases, productivity increases, then uh, push specific prices of certain goods up. Um, when you're dealing with a, a recession, uh, being able to build and grow out of uh, a recession and having inflation during that time period is a good thing right now. Um, most of what we're seeing right now is not bad inflation. I mean, it's it, our economy is not back to where it was pre-COVID. Uh, we're still fighting our way back through a number of items, dislocation of, of worker and job and a number of other things that are going on uh, within those confines. Um, it becomes uh, something that we have to eye, uh, but a economic recovery when we're still looking at having over 8 million jobs that are vacant that were at one point filled pre-COVID uh, pre pandemic uh, is not a bad thing. Got it. And just uh, so we can all understand, and I remember as a child when I first learned about the concept of inflation, I used to think like, well, why not shoot for deflation, right? Deflation sounds pretty amazing that something that I can buy today, a year from now, being able to buy it at a lower price. Why as a country um, do we not shoot for deflation? Uh, and why can that be a negative when the prices of goods go down over time? Well, deflation uh, obviously is a lowering of prices rather than an increasing of prices. Uh, a devaluation would cut into things like corporate earnings, uh, would cut into um, people's wages, uh, things of that nature. So eventually if uh, companies were feeling the bite, they might keep employees, uh, but then lower their salaries, things of that nature. Um, the the one thing that kind of comes to my mind also looking at you know the comparisons is when you're also dealing with hyperinflation so you were talking about good inflation and bad inflation and you know recovering from 
recessions is good, but you also do need to control inflation. You can't have it spiral out of control uh, in the context as well. So you want to have this kind of Goldilocks, you know, deflation, lowering of prices is a form of a recession. Um, if you look at having too high of inflation, then the dollar devaluates, your price of things that you can actually buy goes down. Lots of bad things can happen within it. So you kind of want something in between. Got it. And that's where we learn about things like the Taylor rule, where it used to be where they would target inflation around three, three and a half percent. I'm not sure if that's still the same target that they use anymore, given how low inflation's been, but a little bit of inflation goes a long way. Um, and when we look at all of this, um, what what can we expect with asset performance and other things? What tends to do well in this type of environment? Well, yeah, I mean, it really kind of depends on how this inflation kind of unfurls. Uh, if we are talking about having kind of more of that, I don't want to say quite uh, hyperinflation because I just don't see how we quite get there yet. But if we were to see that, really a lot of the commodity-based uh, items out there are uh, the historical ones. I mean, you hear about gold and you've seen us write a lot about how gold has not been particularly great as a hedge for inflation but it is when it gets to hyper. Um, and if you're looking at a, you know other areas, so material companies, we've seen a big spike in just uh, basic good prices, lumber, steel, copper, those types of things. So obviously the manufacturers of those will reap stronger benefits. Uh, thing to keep in mind, however, is that material companies only represent 3% of the stock market. Real estate historically has done quite well uh, during uh, inflation uh, periods as well. Uh, again, uh, real estate is only about 3% of the stock market. Um, energy, uh, it's kind of a 50-50 on it, but uh, certainly can rise during inflationary time periods. Um, you can also see uh, things like financials do well and industrials do really well uh, during this. The areas that don't do well, historically speaking, growth companies. So it would be something that you really would want to uh, strongly consider uh, what your positions were in uh, the fab five that you've heard us talking about, or really any kind of deep growth uh, company that is uh, going to be impacted by uh, a cost of, of good increase uh, that might really bite into their earnings. Yeah, Jeff, and I think that last point that you made, which is that growth companies, and we'll use tech as an example, um, tend to underperform when you have rising inflationary pressures. That's something that's a little bit uh, difficult to wrap our head around, just given the backdrop of how those uh, that area of the market's done over the last 10, 15 years. Why is it that growth stocks, so technology as an example, tend to underperform when you have rising inflation? Well, you tend to be buying a growth company based upon a specific percentage of earnings growth uh, out into the future. Uh, the the more volatile and the, the higher inflation is, the harder it is to really predict what that growth rate should be. Oftentimes, people are buying uh, goods uh, that uh, based upon a inflated price, uh, therefore, Again, you know, the, so they're, I, I should rephrase that they've bought it uh, in the midst of, uh, of inflation so that they're actually ending up cutting into uh, the earnings of a corporation. So 
oftentimes what will end up happening is if you let's say you get inflation of of five percent uh oftentimes your growth company is going to see a lowering of returns uh and again you've based your decision on a multiple of that over a, a extended time period whereas value companies you're really looking at you know finding something that's undervalued to what it should be in the current market environment so you're really not basing it upon future growth patterns so when you have something eroding what your future growth pattern is that's where you tend to see uh those things fall off got it and so we've been in this period where arguably for the entirety of the last uh year and certainly extending into last year we've seen some of this inflationary pressure what have we seen with some of the historical uh, performance of these assets? Are growth companies starting to lag as we would expect within the inflationary pressures, or are they still pretty much holding their own relative to value? Well, I will say first quarter, second quarter, I'm, I'm sorry, the last two quarters. So fourth quarter of uh, 2020 and first quarter of 2021, you've seen a dramatic difference between uh, value companies and growth companies and, and what their performance has been uh, over that period of time. Uh, so far this quarter, it's not been quite as uh, announced, I guess I should say, uh, between the two. You've still seen uh, a very strong performance with regard to uh, value, but you're just not seeing quite as much of a difference between uh, the performance of the two. They're they're almost I wouldn't say quite at parity to each other, uh, but you have seen a um, a pretty sizable difference between uh, what you were seeing when you saw 11% differences and 5% differences. This is right now um, about a 2% difference of value outperforming growth as we speak right now. Uh, so not quite as pronounced we had earlier. Uh, in April, growth outperforming value. Oftentimes when you have leadership changes, um, doesn't mean that every quarter is gonna be a value quarter going forward and that you're not gonna see growth outperform value. Uh, that's not what we're saying in the slightest. What it means is that two of three, three of four, you know, four of five will be value, not growth. But it doesn't mean that you won't see some growth uh, in there. And it doesn't mean that growth will be a horrible place to invest. You just need to be much more cautious, uh, especially based upon valuation. So when you look at companies like Apple and Microsoft and you know, really you know, the, the abbreviation is FANMAG, so F-A-N-M-A-G. So those are Facebook, Apple, Netflix. You look at the M-A-G of that is Microsoft. Um, it is Amazon and Google uh, to those most of those companies, and especially again, if you're looking at Apple, Microsoft, are very highly valued. Uh, so, you know, you need to be looking at this and say, how much can I possibly squeeze more out of these companies? Are they properly valued? And are they in a position where I think that they can, you know, really be the driving factor of growth pattern for me uh, in the future? And if they're not, you need to really kind of consider when your exit point might be, even though they're great companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so to kind of build on that a little bit, I know um, when we look at a lot of uh, portfolios, when we do things like a, um, a second opinion on portfolios, those tend to be the areas of the uh, market that are overweighted within a portfolio. And 
part of it, I think, is just people building or chasing on what's done well in the past, but also those areas have run more than other areas. And so if you're not uh, rebalancing or trimming back, it's easy to let those become a larger portion of the portfolio. So Jeff, if uh, what I'm understanding from what you're saying is correct, it sounds like it's a good time to really look at paring that down and bring at a minimum, bringing that back down to market weighting, but perhaps even reducing some of the weighting there to uh, give room for value stocks, which are looking like they're they're set to run over the longer term relative to some of their peers. Is that a fair? I, I think that I couldn't word it better myself. So yes, absolutely. I mean, if you're looking at things, um, we've, we've talked about it ad nauseum that what takes you to new levels of high is not the firms that are the ones that brought you out of the recession. Uh, we are definitely at an inflection point. Uh, growth does not do as well as value in an inflationary time period. So regardless if it's good or bad, uh, I would be very cautious to what you're looking at within that. Um, and again, uh, if you wanna see more of examples of what we're concerned about or what you might be able to hear, you know, continue to hold a little bit longer, uh, lean on us. Uh, that's what we've talked about for a long time too. The second opinion is really something that uh, more people should be taking advantage of. So, and Jeff, and do you mind uh, just walking our listeners through a little bit of what we're doing internally at Polaris with this uh, information that we have? So giving everyone kind of a, a peek behind the curtains, what are some of the things that we've done in our portfolios to take advantage of these trends? So obviously we had a very strong 2020 uh, right out of the gates in 2021, um, really strong start as well. How, uh, as a team, um, were you and the investment committee able to achieve that? Um, and what's driving those decisions? Well, I mean, I think one of the, the first things to really kind of go through out of really anything we do investment-wise is we check our egos at the door. I mean, we, we allow uh, what's truly going on to dictate uh, what we think we should be doing with regard to the investment management. So um, it may sound like a little bit of uh, wafting in the wind, but it's really not. It's it's really uh, taking advantage of uh, the quantitative evaluations, let, let the numbers speak for themselves, allow us to, to push into areas of markets that we would not historically necessarily have gone into. Uh, a great example of that was both energy and financials. Uh, you're talking about the two worst performing areas of the market uh, last uh, in 2020 uh, were the two best performing se uh, segments of the market in the first quarter. So it's not something that one would typically go, oh my gosh, energy was down 30%. It looks like a great time to get into it. Uh, we started to see some some technical things and some fundamental things that looked like it made sense. And so we've invested and made some significant, significant moves within those areas of the market. Same thing with a, a few of the more uh, esoteric uh, investments that would be typically not the first place that we'd invest, like U.S. Steel or Louisiana Pacific, but we've made huge amounts of money within those stocks too. Obviously, U.S. Steel is a steel manufacturer. Louisiana Pacific uh, makes wood. And so... Uh, obviously, with the huge push uh, out into the suburbs and uh, the amount of homes being uh, purchased and so on, uh, you're seeing a lot of that. You've seen us also, uh, you know, sticking with a uh, as we open up theme. Uh, those are becoming a little bit longer in the tooth. And so 
we're not uh, as heavily weighted within those areas. But um, again, demographic shifts, watching where the quantitative uh, evaluations are going, uh, pinning ourselves towards best of breed companies that are undervalued uh, still to this day to where they should be, uh, rather than basing our decisions on what might be going on a year from now or two years from now. Got it. And uh, Jeff, one last question for you on this, and this is one that uh, I definitely get a lot of, and that is the markets at, uh, or very near, I should say, rather, um, all-time highs. So there's a lot of concern about, is this party going to end? Um, are we going to be potentially buying into a market that's going to just be declining or flat going forward? And I think a lot of this stems from some of the environment that we experienced in 2008, where every time we started to uh, reach new highs and something was around the corner. So what What is your outlook? What are you expecting um, with regard to the market um, and opportunities within the market? I mean, are you concerned that we're going to see the market stagnate and that we're not going to see the growth that we're hoping to capture? Or do you have a different vision of where things are pointing? Well, I, I think it's kind of a, a multi-fold answer for you uh, there, Jeremy, because really uh, we're, we're talking about a few different things. One is valuation and, and where the second is where we think the markets are going to be, uh, let's say, at the end of the year. And, and those are two kind of, I mean, they're interrelated, don't get me wrong, but they, they are also kind of two uh, separate questions. Number one, we don't buy the market. So when people are worried about an index, you know, oh my gosh, the S&P 500 is almost at all-time highs, or the Dow Jones just hit all-time highs, or whatever. You don't see the SPY or the uh, DIA in your portfolio, which are the ETFs, uh, the corresponding ETFs that you could buy. Uh, there's obviously other ones as well, but uh, those are the two biggest and, and first to come to mind for me of what uh, one would invest in. We invest in individual stocks within the stock market, and while we do put ourselves up against benchmarks, uh, those indexes that are most representative of us, we're still basing our investments based upon where we see the best opportunity within the markets. And so when I hear somebody going, oh my gosh, the markets are at all-time highs, I don't necessarily want to invest in them, they're ignorant because they're basically making a statement that uh, we're buying, you know, just in such uh, array that it would have a market-like performance. One of the things that we go into uh, and talk about at great length is the fact that we have uh, concentration within our portfolios. So one mistake that you do see portfolio management for a mistake is they'll, they'll have a portfolio of 50 or 100 stocks. At that point, you are pretty much acting like an index anyway. So uh, again, to, to your statement, Jeremy, it does become an issue uh, with looking at that, the impact. Now, don't get me wrong, we have more money involved in index mutual funds and index ETFs than ever before. That does influence uh, market movements because if you've got a bunch of people that own all 500 stocks of the S&P 500, and they start to panic about the markets and the market dropping and so on, and they decide to sell, that selling pressure can have an influence on the broad-based market, and that broad-based market movement can have an influence on our individual holdings, regardless of their value or growth. So there is something out there. There is an impact out there uh, that that is something to be considered, but we're not afraid to be fully invested at this point. Now, taking it one step further to your question, which is kind of, you know, 
if they're not if we're not afraid to invest, then where do we think things are going? Uh, we see a lot of opportunity out there. We see earnings uh, at all time high by the end of the year. Uh, we see them at all time highs out of 2022 also. So continued uh, appreciation of value uh, within companies as a result, uh, a lot of stimulus. You've got a lot of very positive things that should drive the stock market much higher from where it is right now by seeing nothing else changing from an economic standpoint. So we are very bullish about what's going on with this market. We do realize there's gonna be hiccups. Uh, we do realize that there's a fear out there. You know, markets again, really being driven mostly by fear and greed. So when obviously the fear factor ratchets up above the greed factor, markets go down. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of the price movement of what's going on is being moved around. And again, I, I don't mean to pick on the media. The media is trying to report things, but when they miss their mark, they miss their mark in a way that oftentimes has negative consequences. And freaking out about inflation uh, right now uh, on you know your CNBCs, your Fox Business News, and so on, they're just regurgitating you know other people's stories at this point. They don't truly understand what you and I talked about early in, which is sometimes inflation is not a bad thing. Sometimes you need it to spur a country out of a recession, which is exactly what's been going on. Sometimes people need a little extra hand, additional unemployment, other things, which are, by the way, inflationary. So being out there worrying about inflation, thinking that's the factor that's going to send the markets back down, uh, really is kind of an ignorant view of the marketplace and not really looking at the full picture. So again, from here, I mean, we've had a phenomenal beginning of the markets. We've been in front of where we need to be. We think that there's going to be continued trend especially in the deep uh, value part of the marketplace. We're not afraid of what's going on within it. We would be, uh, we would be highly recommending uh, to people to get their cash working for them. Got it. So Jeff, and really appreciate the, the very thorough answer you gave there. And just to kind of summarize what I heard you say, so valuation matters, right? And then second, you don't have to just blanket the, uh, the market within your portfolio, meaning you can be, very smart about what you hold within it. And you use the term concentrated, um, where we will concentrate within areas of the market and um, that it gives us the ability to take advantage of opportunities and also avoid areas where we know that they look overvalued or they look like there's not much opportunity there. And I think that's a key difference is that we have the wherewithal to, to do that and to use that conviction that we have on the research. Yeah, the one thing that I do want to clarify there when we talk about a concentration um, is we're talking about 20 to 30 positions per strategy. We do have one that's 10, and that would be kind of an add-on adjunct uh, part of the of the market, but uh, or of a portfolio. Um, but when you have 100 stocks, you're more like an index. When you go, when you look at the decay of uh, the value of diversification, you really see a massive drop off between 30 and 50 stocks so where it really becomes, you know, adding value by your investment selection to, you know, a rising tide lifting all ships. So really, the, you know, again, 20, 30 stocks, really a, a nice 
um, kind of middle ground between diversification uh, and then when you do actually have a stock that is doing all the right things that it has enough of a position there to actually add return to your portfolio. Got it. So kind of back to where we talked about inflation. So a little bit goes a long way. So we don't need to uh, have a hundred or a thousand different uh, positions, but by being more concentrated, the individual stocks actually have lift within the portfolio, but not so concentrated that one bad stock will stink up the whole portfolio. That's exactly right. So perfect. Well, Jeff, as always, thank you so much for your time and for the uh, the background of information that you gave us with regard to inflation. I think uh, just given what we talked about today, I certainly feel a little bit better about some of the inflationary pressures and understand more about why uh, we really shouldn't be all that surprised that we're having inflation now because every time we pull out of a recession, when we do it effectively, there's a little bit of inflation that comes along with it. Um, and so, uh, as always, thank you for uh, helping us to make sense of this news and uh, to empower us to make smarter decisions as we see all this uh, come about in the uh, media. So with that, Jeff, thank you. And uh, to our audience, uh, appreciate the time that you've spent with us. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.